Welcome to Outside the House, where we discuss social and climate justice issues and ideas and connect with the radical people who are taking action across the country because they believe we can do better. We acknowledge that the land we live, work, and play on, aka Turtle Island, in addition to the traditional names locally, is sacred land that has been inhabited by indigenous and First Nations people for more than 15,000 years. We are thankful for this opportunity to share space, honor, and celebrate the lives and traditions of those whose land was stolen from them. We also acknowledge people of African descent who were brought here against their will or in search of a safe place to live their lives and raise their children. Now, let's talk about ways in which we can create social and climate justice with your host, Katie Robertson, in this episode of Outside the House. Welcome to another episode of Outside the House. Thank you again for joining us today. I am honored to welcome Adrian Bruff and Shamir Turner. Did I say, did I say, pronounce your name correctly, Shamir? Shamir, it's Shamir. So it's one of those ones that seems more complicated than it is. But Yeah, yeah. It's like Sham Air, like exactly as it's spelled. <laughs> okay. I won't screw it up, I promise. So uh, <laughs> so I'd like to welcome both of you. Um, an interesting fact about these two is that you're both running for Edmonton City Council. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Fabulous. So is this your first time running? Sherman, do you want to go first or do you want me to? <laughs> Don't want to interrupt. Uh, for me, it is, yes, my first time. Yes, it's, it's my first time. It's both of us. It's our, both of our first times. Okay. So Adrian, how about we start? We'll start with you. Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, what prompted you or motiv- motivated you to decide to run for council? And then I'll ask the same question of you, Shamir. Sounds good. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, thank you so much for inviting us, Katie. And I'm looking forward to talking with you this evening. Um, so my name is Adrian Bruff. I'm a community activist and organizer here on the traditional territory of three to six, social worker, disability advocate, and a champion for working class families. And in this upcoming municipal election, I'm running to become the candidate. I'm running as a candidate to become the next city councilor for Ward Odemin. So it's a new ward, um, indigenous name, Odemin. This basically means the heart of the city, north of the Saskatchewan River. There's some new communities in the riding, so I'll quickly list them off um, if time allows. So it's Westmount, Queensmere Park, Prince Rupert, Westwood, Spruce Ave, Blatchford, Macaulay, Boyle Street, Central McDougall, Riverdale, Rossdale, downtown Oliver. And that's pretty much it. So, you know, when I was reflecting on this interview to talk about advocacy work and, you know, what got me to the to this point where I wanted to run for public office. And, you know, it got a little bit emotional because I was thinking about my past and my upbringing and, you know, what got me to this journey. And it started off with, you know, with my mother, a, a woman, a, a woman of color. And we grew up poor. My mother was a single parent and she raised two young boys, my brother and I. We were so poor to the point where at one point we had to rent a room in a house where we shared kitchen and bathrooms with strangers. So just imagine that a family of three with roommates. Growing up poor meant that we missed um, community events, we missed road trips, school trips. And it's, it's seeing the sacrifices, my brother and I seeing the sacrifices that our mother made sacrificing our own goals and aspirations so that my brother and I can accomplish more. Along the way, I mean, she's working hard, always telling us to give back, always telling us to take care of our most vulnerable, always telling us to be forgiving and to be honest with herself. 
So growing up, that passion was instilled with, in with me while I journeyed the adult life. Um, and my brother went on to become a teacher, myself a social worker, and now a candidate for Edmonton City Council. So uh, throughout my adult life, I've been involved in many community initiatives and act, at, um, advocacy work, which I'm going to be talking about later on in the program. Um, and business owners, community leaders, residents approached me, asked me if I would consider running for public office based on the values that I've had and I've been sharing as an adult throughout my time as a community activist. So I went back, talked to friends and family and decided I was going to step up and represent my community in this capacity. So that's how I got to this point of running as a candidate. Thank you for sharing that, Adrian. Um, As a person who also grew up poor, I, I recognize and see how challenging it is to navigate through that, especially as a child. And, and I think it's not um, represented well enough in recognizing how, how traumatizing poverty can be, um, especially when you're a kid. So to overcome that, you know, and then adding obviously the other intersection of being a black man in Edmonton. How, how did that play out in terms of you choosing to run for council? Well, I actually grew up in Ontario. I came over for my studies at the university and I decided to stay because I fell in love with the city. Um, I identify as a cisgender male, black, black male. Um, to touch, to, to kind of go back on like the trauma of poverty and overcoming those barriers is because of the sacrifices of my single parent mother. Everything she had, she sacrificed it so my brother and I can become where we are today. I am fortunate enough to have been given certain opportunities in life where I am now a homeowner, where I am now, where I've traveled the world and backpacked different continents, where I've, I, I own certain a car, for example, but other people that I um, that I interact with who are who identify as black male in our city don't necessarily have those same opportunities and the same experience that I have because of the systemic issues. Because of the systemic um, racism that exists, um, and it, and 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 you know, I try to stay afar. I try to stay away from this as best as I can when it comes to or you're running to to to, to advocate and to really tackle black issues. Actually, no, I'm really running to tackle working class families. And I think in the process, by doing so, we can tackle black issues. Like mm-hmm. one of the things I really want to do is, if I'm elected on council, is to put a, a fine finally put an end to Edmonton street checks. This is a this is a this is often a practice used by the police to target black, brown, indigenous, and poor white Edmontonians. It serves no purpose more than to harass and to intimidate us and to make us fearful and to feel unsafe in our own community. Also, some of the other things that I really want to look forward to is starting our own Black Chambers of Commerce so that Black businesses can have access to government funding, especially in my riding um, on 107th Street. I want us to start building more affordable homes in our community because, as I said, growing up poor meant that we didn't have a home. We had to rent a room, right? So that generational wealth was skipped in um, in my family. But I want to see other people in my community, the Black community, start having access to affordable homes so they can start creating wealth in our community. And I really want to see, I really want to be an advocate if I'm fortunate enough to be on council to see more diverse people because there's some amazing 
bright, articulate people like Shamir Turner here who are doing amazing work in our community. And they're not getting a fair chance of being in managerial positions in our city and on, 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 on our city's stakeholders on board. So those are some of the things that I really want us to, tr- to do to try to accomplish um, on council and, and in our city. I find it interesting that you mentioned being called out um, for wanting to be an advocate for, for Black issues when, you know, race, racial issues, race issues, black issues, indigenous issues, it's everybody's issue and it should be. So, um, you know, until everybody's lifted up, nobody is in, in, in my mind. Um, Shamir, do you want to share a little bit how you decided to run for council, get into this political ring? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can say that I've got a bit of a different experience uh, than Adrian because I'm I'm Edmonton born and raised and I grew up as this kind of first generation Canadian where you kind of live in two worlds. You understand and live very much in in the world that uh, my parents grew up in, which is in the Caribbean, as well as being a kid and a product of um, the 80s, 90s, and 2000s in, in Edmonton. So for me, it wasn't just, it wasn't it was a kind of a culmination of things, I should say, that kind of brought me to this decision. Um, I've always been somebody who has been politically involved and interested and wasn't exactly sure how to to make that more tangible other than just education. I think I, I was somebody who took political science all through school. Um, I was actually going through some old um, papers at my parents' place and found all of my notes. And I'm like, I can't get rid of this. <laughs> my women's studies notes, my political science um, notes, but I didn't really know how to translate it into, into action. And I think that I would have those conversations around the fire in Edmonton in someone's backyard and, and talking about things that we're hearing about in the news, but it didn't go any further than that. And within the last, I would say, four or five years, it's just become more and more as I've kind of grown into like full adulthood, but seeing how much politics influences basically everything. I mean, how our neighborhoods look, who gets access to power, what things are prioritized. And so that kind of mental journey is where I started just kind of awakening myself in terms of trying to figure out what more action looked like and actually understanding the nuances of decisions that were being made at um, various political levels. So that was a little bit of my kind of background and, um, and what opened my mind. And I think that that was the first step in terms of me kind of ending up. If you had asked me two years ago, even a year and a half ago, if this is where I would be, I probably would have been quite shocked as I was definitely on a different trajectory. But um, wanting to to get involved and being somebody who has been a leader in the opportunities and positions that I was able to, I, I thought, let me see if I can take some action. And that started with a little bit of volunteering on some on a political campaign, just kind of learning um, in a very small way. But I think that this summer, the the racial injustice movement, it kind of blew the doors open for me in terms of I was already starting to see and understand and it just kind of knocked my socks off in for lack of a better word, because actually it's a pretty positive way to say um, a pretty traumatizing summer. But I really just started to see what was going on. And I felt I needed to do something. And again, kind of like Adrian spoke with friends and it was so lovely to get um, such huge affirmation from friends that I've had kind of since I was a kid in elementary, as well as people that I've kind of met and grown with through all of my iterations. And it's been such overwhelming support that I knew that I would have 
that team behind me to take action. And it kind of is culminated in um, a run for city council. So would you say that the summer, the events of the summer, I'm assuming, you know, I think that, that for many people, the, the sort of jumping off point would be George Floyd, Floyd being more murdered and then, um, you know, Breonna Taylor. And then we'd have a handful of other um innocent people who were murdered in Canada as well by the police. Would you say that that was, that was your main catalyst? Um, that was, it was 100% an element. I, and as I kind of mentioned, like with, with the, the years, the last few years, I think we are incredibly influenced by, um, by governing bodies in, in, in other countries and definitely our closest neighbor and seeing the direction that places in Europe, um, other places, uh, places in, in, in North America, seeing the direction they were going in. And then it all seemed to culminate in terms of this mental awakening and world. Um, I think like with respect to COVID, for example, everyone had enough time to really pay attention to all these things that have always been here and to all these things that were building. And it kind of was like this summer was a volcano erupting in terms of realization, as well as this is going to take forever unless we have some big, bold action. And so, yes, I wouldn't say that it was the main catalyst, but it was kind of the blowing the roof off of where we've been going. A burning house. <laughs> yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. You know, I, that's something I commented on a few times in, in around, you know, the fire pits that I sat around, but it, and I don't think that that would have happened. Like we, so that March that we had in Edmonton was over 15,000 people. I don't think that would have happened if there wasn't COVID. So in a way, you know, the pandemic also brought to light all the other, uh, you know, one of the biggest pandemics, which is racism that we have, um, especially here in Canada, you know, I, it's so easy for us as Canadians um, and people living in, in so-called Canada to try to absolve ourselves of the responsibilities of where our systemic issues lie by saying, oh, well, it's not as bad as the United States or, you know, whatever other country that's equally as um, messed up, I guess. Yeah, we but, had a kind of mirror held up, right? Yeah, and it was yeah. one that everyone had time to look at. We and had time, yeah. Yeah, and, and part of that, and I keep saying realization, but I mean, just thinking about and reliving mentally, not, I mean, not intentionally, but past experiences in personal and professional life, it all just kind of came to a head in a way that that mirror is in front of you. And what are you going to do? <laughs> so I, I want to avoid this, uh, this particular episode turning into sort of a, a campaign uh, event, but I would like to touch on a couple of the issues. And I think um, we'll start with you, Adrian, and then and then um, Shamir. Just just hop in, and we'll kind of just banter back and forth here. But um, one of the things, and I think that this affects you know many, pro- probably every municipality across Canada is is homelessness. So, what do you see as how how we're going to solve that how we solve it what how, what's the, what's the approach here okay yeah that's a good question and i think that's where because okay let's let's kind of go back a, a little bit time in history so our city is 117 years old um and throughout that entire time we have never had someone that looked like myself or shamir turner sitting on council never fast forward to now a pandemic race race um 
racial injustice, and an economy that is struggling, homelessness is on a rise. The writing that I represent toward Odemin, the number one issue affecting them is homelessness and poverty. You know, when I'm talking to folks, whether that's at their doorsteps or in their business, they're worried about homelessness and some of the ramifications that comes with that. And as a social worker, working with our inner city community members day in, day out, this is my bread and butter. So I do have a plan on how I think we can move forward as a society to start to address some of the issues that we're experiencing. And luckily, having an advocate and a champion and a voice on the social issue of homelessness is something that our city needs at this time. So what I'm looking at is I realize that there's a lot of buildings in our city that aren't being used at this time. So I want to convert some of these buildings into affordable, in, into wellness centers. So what that would look like is the first couple of floors, we're going to have all the support services that they need. Mental health, addictions counseling, safe consumption site, 24-hour access to food, laundry, rehabilitation, library, cultural space, music space, all those resources on the first couple of floor and then above that we're going to build some one bedrooms and two bedroom units now katie i just want to make it clear to to you and your and your listeners that many many people who are homeless we're they're only at a stage where we can provide palliative care for them you know people always say to me oh why can't they just go get a job or can they just lay off the drugs we can only provide palliative care and in a city and in a province, and in a country as wealthy as ours, we should not be letting our most vulnerable citizens down. So what these wellness centers will do is kind of support those who need the support now. And those who can, when they're ready, once they have all the resources that they need, we can then transition them out into our community, into affordable homes. Now, one of the policies that I'm excited to share with voters um, on the campaign trail is my vacant and abandoned property initiative. I think it's a plan and a policy that a lot of homeowners who have vacant lots and a lot of residents who live in communities with vacant lots beside their homes would actually enjoy seeing being implemented. So I'm looking to, to, to turn some of these abandoned homes into affordable homes in our community to house some of our homeless folks that are transitioning, transitioning out of these wellness centers. So that's, that's, that, that's how I think we can take first steps towards addressing homelessness. But also, Katie, there's a lot of good organizations out in our community right now that are doing amazing work to house our homeless. Homelessness is intersectional. There's different very um, different reasons why folks are homelessness. That could be through to racism, homophobia, xenophobia, discrimination, and poverty. So it's addressing all of those underlying issues while also supporting the individual with care, respect, and dignity is how I think we can best address the issue of homelessness in our city. When you're talking about palliative, uh, you know, there's been some studies that have come out in the in the last decade or so that shows that up to 70% of people who are homeless have experienced or are, or are experiencing a traumatic brain injury. So, um, you know, this, mm-hmm. this, this level of medical care and support that they need um, and and what you're talking about, the supportive, supportive housing, some of those, you know, I, I don't disagree with you that that's a good idea, but the fact, the reality is, is that some of those people will never transition out. So what's that, what's that long-term game look like? Like for me, I think, I think if we're going to build that type of housing, we need to um, do it 
in mind that you know this this may be a permanent home for many of the people who access those services absolutely and i think the wellness center where 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 i was getting at the wellness center will be able to support those individuals that that have that need that palliative care long term with 24 hour access to social workers i was just saying that those who can who are ready and can go out into the community and be supported, we can then transition those individuals into affordable homes and they will also have access to 24-hour um, social work and support and funding. Obviously, this has to be in partnership with the provincial government and having a provincial government that supports initiatives like these are important to me and important to towards um, this policy that I'm implementing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the provincial and federal government, I think, play a very big role in this. Shamir, what, what are your thoughts on on how we, how municipalities, specifically Edmonton, for, for you, should tackle homelessness? Well, I mean, like with Adrian's, it's it's always great to hear um, kind of in-depth background, especially with your experience, Adrian's experience being a social worker. So I'm in a little bit of a different situation where I am ferociously learning as much as I can about what are the support services that exist now? Where are the holes? How are people falling through? Um, to, so we can get to that, as you said, kind of long-term strategy to support um, the majority of our of, of our homeless um, or houseless population right now. So when I think of the support services that most people think of is a sheltered place. I think that that's kind of what your general Edmontonian might think of when you think about supporting homelessness. And I think that the way that we have that done right now, it feels like um, and this is a bit of some of the research that I've done as well, but it, it, it really doesn't feel like it's being, those individuals have the, the level of dignity that, I mean, everybody, um, every, every person, every human kind of um, deserves and would want and be able to thrive in, right? Mm -hmm. So you think about yourself walking into a, a gymnasium or a giant room with a cot and a small, like, I think that the setup that we have right now, it really kind of feels like you're being corralled in and corralled out. And that is not, that's, that's missing a lot of the, the, the elements that kind of make us um, human, that empathy, those, those opportunities for connection. And one of the most important pieces is safety. Um, you're not going to go to a space and you're not going to rely on resources if you're not connecting with individuals and you don't feel safe in those spaces. So it's, it's, so some of the information or some of the research that I've been doing and, and people that I've been speaking with are talking a little bit about providing those temporary um, housing supports, roof on the head, so that people can, at a minimum, get out from being outside and then slowly build that relationship to connect and, and um, get access to those other resources. But the way that we're doing this kind of shifting. So the things that I'm hearing the city of Edmonton is doing is looking at creating rooms instead of a giant room with a cot. For example, it's like this, somebody gets a room that allows them to kind of have that space. And so the, the hotels, the, the opportunity that potentially exists right now to be able to work with the federal government, um, the provincial, as well as the municipal, to be able to find, to create, what's the right word to say it? But I mean, to, to, to increase the attractiveness of these supports that exist um, and how we disseminate those supports. So I think that that's, that's an element of what I think, and um, that's what I'm learning right now, and that's what I'm hearing, is providing that supportive, affordable transition housing and, and creating it at different levels where they where people are in their um, in their healing process and in their process of kind of reintegrating into um, kind of the existence that that we on this um, on this call here are are more used to. 
So that's one element. But I do think that piggybacking on a little bit of what Adrian said, it's definitely going to, when you're talking about safe consumption sites, it's a really difficult component for the municipalities because a lot of this, um, like you're talking about the traumatic brain injuries and all of that, a lot of that has to do and has to integrate um, Alberta Health Services or the, the, the provincial government, right? We need to, so advocating for more connectivity and planning that is integrated is also an incredibly, um, it's an incredibly important element. And so that's a piece that I think is really important. And like, if I'm successful in getting on council, that's something that I also would want to make sure that we're, we're pushing is that the city is the one is the kind of the last person at the bottom of this, um, of this ladder and everything is just getting pushed down to us. Right. And we can't, we can't, we're, there's nobody else below us to kind of pick up the slack of the pieces that we're not doing. And so what I'd like to see and work for is to push, we have to push up more. We have to say, this is, this is part of your citizenship. This is um, the citizenry, sorry, of the, this is the individuals here that are, that, that you're supposed to be representing. Here's the elements where we need your support and um and work to get that support in conjunction with the organizations that exist right now they're doing that great work and advocacy and connecting and making relationship and then where the municipality can come in is providing those those um supportive housing with dignity yeah you know i I just want to jump in real quick here you know what Tremere turner said was is is correct and you know majority of edmontonians that i've come across or that i've met whether that's my work as a social worker i and now as a candidate, they really want to help the homelessness in a caring and compassionate way. They just don't know how do they or as a city, we go about doing that. So by having good, concrete, caring and compassionate plans and policies, I think Edmontonians will be on board to seeing some of their tax dollars going towards some of these initiatives. I I, I agree with you. And, and I also, I might just add something for consideration um from a from a uh, adrian you might be more familiar with this but um you know i my mom was an addict so i grew up in in homelessness poverty abuse whatever my whole life so um getting out of that it also meant though that i had to accept that some people are not coming out of it some people are going to live that life forever. So, um, you know, that's where harm reduction comes into play. And, and it seems like our goal as, as, as a, a Western, I'm talking about Canada, um, and, uh, culture and, and our society, we're always, well, we have to get them back up and ship in ship, you know, ship shape and, um, back to work and back into our integrated into our society and contributing and whatever. Well, but, the reality is, is that not everybody is going to be able to do that. And, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, that long-term housing and, 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 and when we're talking about compassionate policies, I would say it needs to include compassion for the fact that some people will never get out of that. Absolutely. I agree with you a hundred percent. And that is why I stress many times when I'm having conversation with folks in our community that we're basically providing long-term care palliative mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because like many of them like will not. Lens. I'm sorry. Yeah, many I, of them. I like will, that lens. Yeah. Yeah, many folks will not be able to have a home and get up and take a shower and make breakfast and 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 kiss the kids goodbye and go off to work. And I think you know 
I always say to folks, did you get up this morning and took a shower? Did you brush your teeth? Were you able to open a refrigerator and there was food in there? Did you lock your door? Did you press a button and start your car or you jump on a bus? Many, many people in our community don't have that. Many, many people in our community are struggling to make ends meet, ravishing through our garbages, rattling on our garage doors, sleeping in our stairways, hopeless and nowhere to turn to. We need the support system in place that's going to support these individuals to participate in their full citizenship as Edmontonians and as Canadians. To whatever capacity they can. Yeah, and just to kind of um, to jump in on, on a little bit of that point as well is that there is there's so many different elements and levels to um, what brings somebody into houselessness and what it would take to to kind of provide those supports. And I think that thinking about, and I haven't said the the word that I'm running in, which is Garheel, which is in southeast Edmonton, there are there is there's opportunities for all different types of housing supports, right? You have your your initial um triage for lack of a better word, where you're just trying to get a roof over somebody's head and a meal in their stomach. You have shorter term kind of transition housing where somebody can be for a few months and then you have affordable housing, which um we need to like I know it's a big component and issue in, in the center of the city, but we need to make sure that there's opportunities for those different levels and what's most appropriate for setting up across the city. I, I, I'd like to uh, shift a little bit now to a different subject. I, I, I appreciate both of your, your thoughts and, and passion around, around that, the, that subject. And um, I think that this is a good segue though, because one of the big things that contributes to poverty is joblessness. So, so when we're talking about creating jobs and opportunities, and I'm and I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here as well. In uh, in uh, alignment with um, the current reality of of our climate climate. Uh, crisis, climate justice, climate change. What does that look like? How do, how do you see that that g- coming into play in terms of job creation? Yeah. Um. I can just I can just jump in. Um. The way that I um and we've seen with with COVID is that it's showing us the stats are sixty percent. I think I've, I'm hearing of businesses or are businesses small businesses are are employing sixty percent of Albertans and. I think that creating and making sure everything that we can do that is supporting those small businesses is go- is going to um, is going to underpin new jobs, and so that's making sure that the businesses that we have that are here that have done so well are supported and incentivized in um, what's the right correct word sorry um, invested in provided with grants that sort of thing kind of that startup piece, making sure that we're building and supporting small businesses. And then there's another piece that I found really quite um, interesting that I'm learning a lot more about, which is kind of the the local procurement and building with community benefit. And so if we're having the city of Edmonton is a huge organization and it's a huge employer, but it also does a ton of contract work and putting a priority on providing services or, or getting services provided by local companies and having that be part of our procurement process is also another way to make sure that that money is invested 
in the city instead of in organizations and companies in, in Chicago or in Toronto or in all these other places, but um, making sure that, they're, that the, the funds that the city has is going towards the city. And I, I, I couldn't tell you the stats off the top, but I know that when you spend, when you support a local business, that money stays within the, like a huge percentage, a much bigger percentage stays within the community. And that's- It's also spent faster. It's, it's um, it, the, the, uh, the economic benefits of it is felt a lot faster as well. Right, exactly. Right, you're not waiting for tax dollars to come in. It's somebody goes here, and that person buys another local piece, and that person buys another local piece, and tries to run their businesses within this kind of net that um, we have so many amazing businesses. So, in terms of job creation, it really is supporting those local businesses and making it a priority to be job creators, not necessarily directly from the city of Edmonton's payroll in every instance, but making sure that the businesses that are being here is that the city of Edmonton is supporting them and then they are then able to employ locally. Yeah, um, I think Shamir Turner was correct. 60%, over 60% of small businesses employ Edmontonians. And it's important to have a champion for small businesses and entrepreneur on council that's going to ensure that our city keeps employing our citizens. Because I mean, after all, we are the taxpayers of the city's bills. So having them employed to pay their property tax is important. Um, you know, some of the things that, like, I don't want to get too much into policies, but I, I really want the city to focus on reducing red tapes in terms of new businesses and entrepreneurs wanting to start up, um, give grants and tax exemptions to attract more green um, businesses into our city. I was pretty excited to hear that Edmonton is is advocating to get that hydrogen um, hydrogen plant here in our city, and that's something that I think would be good for our economy and for our young folks. Trimay touched a little bit on this procurement and giving contracts to local businesses. Those are important things that I think um, is good for our city to keep money here in our economy, so that Edmontonians can spend that money within our own city. I want to provide some tax relief to commercial properties, and in return, those um, commercial properties may not increase rents on small businesses and see those reductions done. And I want to provide more incentives to attract small businesses, sorry, to attract new investments, new opportunities, new ideas, and new companies to our city. Obviously, I know um, I read, Katie, I read on your podcast that climate justice is very, something that is very important to you. And I think as a city moving forward, I want to I want to see us tapping into some more green energy jobs. Um, there's a lot of opportunities and jobs out there, and I don't want Edmontonians I don't want Edmonton to be last in line when it comes to attracting those investment and those opportunities. So it's providing incentives and tax exemptions for companies looking to create more environmentally friendly or green companies here in our city. Those are some of the policies I'm looking towards. Um, getting our economy up and running. So COVID-19 has shown us one thing, and that is every one of us outside of the 1% is vulnerable to slide into poverty. So even our business and our business owners, they're vulnerable. So making sure that we have governments and elected officials that are brave enough to implement these social programs that I listed earlier, and Shamir Turner talked a little bit about, these social programs and safety net to make sure that our small businesses are not just surviving but they're also thriving so those are some of the things i'm looking forward to doing and what's really great about the city of edmonton is that we have we have some of these hubs 
already, right? We've got Tech Edmonton. We have the Alberta um, Machine Intelligent Learning Institute. I mean, Amy, I'm going to, I should probably look that up and say the, make sure I say the acronym right, but um, Alberta uh, Machine Intelligence Institute. Um, but we, we have a lot of the, the brain power here. And I know that I think in the state of the city a few years ago, um, Mayor Iverson was saying things about the health city and trying to attract that extra investment and focus. There's a lot of, also, there's a lot of money in this city. And um, we really need those Edmontonians to kind of step up and support these businesses. I think we had Jobber, which just got a huge um, cash influx. Um, there are successes here. And so um, making sure that we highlight those, make sure that we know that the people at coming out of university know that there's going to be great opportunities here and people who need to potentially pivot from the work and work that they were doing before to learn new skills, that there's also the space and opportunity to do that um, in the city as well. So, um, Adrian, you had mentioned uh, your work in advocacy, activism work. Um, Shemir, you may have done some too. So I'll, I'll pose the question to both of you and you can choose to answer or not. But um, in my experience doing that type of work, um, I have had a similar encounters when I'm when I'm in the advocacy activism spheres where people come and encourage me um and i have done this i've run for council when i lived in ontario i was elected as a as a uh, a council person and um what i found is that i i felt like i had more power um perhaps at the council table but less uh, impact I felt I felt almost like I was silenced a little bit. So, mm. uh, you know, because now you have to play nice with the other people around the table. Um, you know, the same old rhetoric of it takes a long time to change things. You have to be patient. Whereas when you're um, on the streets, as it were, or in the streets, um, it, it feels like I can get more done. Mm-hmm. Um you know, not to go down the, the, the masculine energy war path, but you know, you rally the troops so you can get them out, you demand change. And sometimes it can happen overnight. And we saw some of that happening um, in the last eight to 10 months, uh, more so than I think I've ever seen in, uh, in my lifetime anyways. Um, how do you see that playing out? Like, do you think you'll still remain an activist um, advocate for the people that you have been now? Yeah. Um, so going back to, you know, my upbringing and some of the values that I was raised on, which I still live by dearly to this day, is, you know, being respectful of our elders, taking care of our most vulnerable, forgiveness, and always supporting those that are in need. Um, so I've been doing some advocacy work in our community um, for the past couple of years. So when folks say to me in the, in the community that, hey, Adrian, you know, I'm a parent, but I don't have school supplies to send my kids to school, then I feel that it is my duty to step up and then put on a back to school supply drive to help families in our community that are experiencing that, because I too experienced that when I was younger. So for the past three years, I've organized an annual back to school supply drive. To this day, has provided over 1,200 backpacks for low-income families in our communities, or the annual family day dinner that I put on to help families that 
have no families here that are hungry, that are homeless, to come by and to have a meal for the day. Or whether it's to organize and to empower the next generation of young black youth by helping organizations like YEG the Come Up co-host and organize their annual youth conference. Because of those advocacy work, I've been awarded the Diversity Award, the NBCC Award, and the Afro-Canadian Awards from Outstanding Community Works and Services. So to talk about my passion and what I will bring and if that burning desire is still going to be there when I'm on council, yes, I'm still going to be fighting to end homelessness. I'm still going to be fighting to create a more greener society. I'm still going to be fighting for small businesses and entrepreneurs. I'm still going to be fighting to make sure that we're maintaining our infrastructure. I'm still going to be fighting for people that are struggling every single day to make ends meet. So whether I'm an advocate or an activist in our community, or I'm an elected official sitting in a position where I can actually do something, my values will remain the same and I will continue to work hard for working class people and our most vulnerable community members when I'm on council and when I'm not on council. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I would... Um... I would I would echo the the sentiment of Adrian that who who you are or who I am um, is somebody who like I can't see having a seat at that table changing the things that I believe in and the things that I think are important and the things that need to be spoken about and I I think like you can exist as an activist in in um, in many ways, Adrian kind of listed off a lot of the, the the tangible work that he's been doing in in his communities, and I think that that's amazing. And for myself, I don't have um, that list of of activist work through organization. However, in the community that I exist in, and in the spaces that I am in, I am always a voice, and I'm always um, whether it's at work where I'm in much more of a, of a corporate space. I'm somebody who's still speaking about issues. I'm still making sure that people are questioning the, the assumptions that they have. Um, in most of the work situations that I've been in historically, I've been the only black person. Um, in most of the spaces I've been, some of the titles, some of the positions, I think I was the only person with my title, um, or there were probably a 50, 30 year gap, 25 to 30 year gap between me and the next individual that had um, that title in the female space. And if I can speak up, <laughs> I guess to say, if I can speak up and make sure that that um, voices are being heard, my voice is being heard, the perspective of young women who are coming up in my company, the, the perspectives of being a person of color um, in those spaces in a boardroom where you're really, really the only, only in pretty much every direction. That's, I, I guess I've kind of built, <laughs> built the armor and gone through the trenches again, as you said, to kind of use those um, <laughs> um, terminology, but uh, that army terminology, but I already, I've, I've built that up. I have those skills and they are foundational to who I am. And so being in any space, those won't be able to disappear. Um, when we're talking about, that advocacy. I, th I think that it's really interesting that you said that you felt like you had more, um, more impact potentially than when you had more quote unquote power um, sitting at the council table. But I think that that really speaks to a little bit of timing as well. Um, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure when you, you were a counselor, but I'm going to say that it wasn't 
this year. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, um, I think like, just like kind of my step up, my, 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 call to action, we'll call it. And a lot of people in, in the world's call to action, a lot of things had to culminate and come together. And I think that we are also in that space when it comes to leadership and what we are expecting of people who are at that table and the pushback may be going the other way. I think people are, are, are aware that changes need to happen. And um, I'm hopeful that though this is the way that we always did it, or it takes a really long time for us to get um, from, from A to B, for example. I think we've seen, especially in the last year, how quickly things can come together and how much um, red tape can be removed or is unnecessary and how much desire there is for change and new ways of thinking to solve problems creatively. And so my hope is at that council table, um, if I'm successful in being able to be elected, is that there are other people who have that mindset shift, or at a minimum, we all know now sitting at those tables that the public <laughs> is going to hold us to task in, in terms of every one of those decisions as they should. And so I think it's great to see the advocacy work and the push that's happening. And we're seeing a little bit of that in our provincial government where the public is speaking and our leaders are, are taking action. And I think that we need to continue that. And I would hope that I'm able to continue that in any realm, whether I'm at the table or not. But I hope that so many things have kind of shifted that there's enough room to have those conversations and not necessarily in, let's say, the example that you were, you were mentioning earlier, that it's you're pushed into a corner or pushed off. And, and, and being a voice is making sure in my mind um, at that table, if I'm able to be there and in the other tables that I've sat at, is this has to be talked about. It can't be brushed aside. So if, if I wasn't in the room, you may not have brought up said topic. I'm in the room. I'm bringing up said topic. And now we need to address it in some way. And we have to have some tangible reasons as to why we're going in this direction versus that. And the public will hold us accountable to it. If I may, um, I've done some coursework with various um, Black anti-racist educators. One of them that comes to mind is uh, Rachel Cargill. And and also, I recently read a book by um, Bell Hooks. She's a, a Black feminist. And uh, the, you know they share the same sentiment in terms of when a Black person shows up, and when you're a Black woman especially, that is your activism. So <laughs> um, you, you should take a little bit more credit. <laughs> I think I think you've done more activism work than than you than you think you have, Shamir. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's funny that you it's funny that you say that, and it is some, one of those things that um, I, I appreciate the reminder because it feels like constant, like it's it's just you always have to be working. Yeah. And so um, when you say that something is something that might be simple, it doesn't seem like it's it's like, no, I need to be working more because that's what it's always been. You need to be work to be seen. You need to work to be heard. Um, and so it's kind of nice <laughs> to, to just think I can shift a space without having to do those epic amounts of work <laughs> that, um, that others may not have to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and there's this level of, oh, I, you know, I don't I. I'm at a loss for words, but I think what the word I'll use is bravery because for me, when I'm tired, I just stop. (laughs) And, you know, and so, so there, 
for me anyways, I can't speak on behalf of everybody, but there is a recognition and, I, and I'm so um, in awe and inspired and, and motivated by the, the constant on button that you have to, that you have to have. And I hope, you know, I hope that someday it's not like that. Um, and, and that you're right, Shamir, where maybe we can, this, this, this is the next, the next generation, the next decade, the next, uh, you know, movement where we can make change quickly and we can make broad change and big changes um, for everybody. So, so on that note, I just, just make sure that we don't miss this because I think this, this conversation is so rich. Um, how will you represent Indigenous people? Oh, I can, I can, I can jump in. <laughs> um, that, that's one of the things that I am, as I said earlier in the conversation, these, these awakenings that I've been having, um, there's an element to my understanding and as a Canadian and what it means to be on this land and having been born in this place um, I've always connected with and felt that my roots, my, I have roots here, but I also have roots in the country that my parents are from. And I've always kind of had a lens um, that exists from those two perspectives. And I think that I've been doing a lot more work to try and understand um, this other perspective that exists, that experiences a lot of the same things um, that I do and that I have that... I haven't been confronted with in terms of doing that extra work. So, I mean, one of the things that I'm really excited about is that I've signed up kind of separate from my campaigning piece, because I think there's always opportunity to learn, but um, signed up for a mentorship program called Intervivos that runs out of the city. And I I'm, used to be on their board. It's so great. <laughs> That's amazing. And I've been, um, so I'm signed up with that, um, with that group. And I've actually been partnered with, um, we kind of, as as you know, but others, maybe people and Adrian on the on the on the line may not know. But I mean, you kind of go through a bit of a quote unquote speed dating <laughs> um, situation where you're talking with individuals and you're trying to find these connections. But one of the things that I wanted to do in terms of the selection, and this year they've decided to they, this session, I should say, they focused on all of the mentors are BIPOC which is really great. And the mentees, some are, some aren't. But um, one of the things I wanted to really do was to see if I could gain an opportunity to learn a perspective that I need to know and are really interested in learning more about. And in this um, instance, it's the it's Indigenous. And so I've been partnered with a great Indigenous leader, Shani Gwynn, and I'm so excited. Yeah, Shani um, Gwynn Communications. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I'm so excited to kind of learn. And we actually just had our first little call um, on the weekend and we talked a little bit about goals as kind of mentorship sort of things go and, and forming them and that sort of thing. But one of the things that I said that I really wanted to make sure was that I want to learn as much as I can um, from her about the Indigenous perspective. And um, she's Métis, but to understand what can I do to support, what can I do um, to learn and in my role as a candidate for city council to make sure that um, those voices are being represented as well, because I, I understand what it means, obviously, to not be represented. represented. So that's kind of, that's a bit of, that's a bit of the work to kind of touch on your, um, your question, which I didn't write down, but I think I've, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's some of the pieces that I've been looking at to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And to, and to add to that, you know, my, my vision aligns with Jane Jacobs. Cities have the capacity of providing something for everyone only because and only when they're created by everyone. So I, on my winter coat um, during the winter months and in the summer on my t-shirt, I'm, I, I have a indigenous medicine wheel pin that I wear in solidarity for my indigenous brothers and sisters. And as a social worker, many folks that I interact with who are experiencing homelessness or disenfranchisement are indigenous or BIPOC individuals. Understanding, hearing their struggles, hearing their concerns, reconciliation, culture. If I'm fortunate enough to be elected on council, my indigenous brothers and sisters on Treaty 6 territory where we are currently residing, and I'm blessed and privileged enough for them to allow me to be here, to be on this space, to use their land. Know that in me, you will have an advocate and a strong voice and counsel for the things that matters to you and to your families. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a course, I don't know if either one of you um, have heard of it, but the U of A actually offers uh, a MOOC, a massive online open course. It's free. Um, it's a 12-lesson uh, course in, about Indigenous Canada, and it's amazing. Like, is that Indigenous Studies? That's what it's called. I'm kicking, my, I'm kicking myself for not doing it when we were in full lockdown, and I had so much more time. <laughs> I'm kicking myself. I, I, I have heard about it. I do have many friends. Yes, I heard that too. Yeah. Yeah, it is a great. It's a great. I'm course. excited at some point to take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and um, there's like a lot of video components. So even if it's relatively passive that you take it and, you know, just listen to it, I don't know, when you're cooking or something, but how long did it take you to do? Like, well, was it like once a week? Is it like, I'm thinking of my university career and I'm like, hey, that is a time commitment that I need to make. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not like a normal course, like a huge course load, right? Like it's a lot of like kind of just taking in information, but um, I, I'm kind of a nerd, so I'm not really, you know, I'm like, oh, they're like 12 weeks. I'm like, oh, I'll do it in four days. Like, so, <laughs> uh, but I mean, you could obviously devote as little or as much time as you have, but I would say, it, you know, each lesson, as far as I can recall, like it took a couple hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's 12 lessons? Yeah, there's 12, 12 lessons. And they say, so there, so there's what it says on there is uh, 12 weeks of study, two to three hours a week. Oh, okay. That's much more tangible than I, because I'd like, for me, I'd like to really do that um, with, with another, with a friend or like, I'd like to do it in a little group because yeah. I think there's a lot of learning that comes from kind of conversation and 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 when you're in that kind of school setting you're taking in information but you're not kind of you may not have the opportunity especially with online learning to do that critical thinking so I'd like to do that in partnership with um a kind of a small group like a book club thing but uh that's that's good to know that the time commitment because I I was anticipating it was a lot more and I just thought how am I gonna Um, I just, Adrian and Shamir, I want to thank you um, for the time and the energy that you put into this. And, and I would like to thank you again. I love this word bravery comes to mind for your bravery and courage and uh, to, um, to put yourself out there to take that risk. It is, you know, it's, it's a big, 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 big. <laughs> uh, challenge that anybody takes on when they decide to do to decide to run for council and 
And um, and I wish both of you the best on the cam- campaign trail. And um, and I, if you want, give me a call. I'm happy to um, to support you if I can. So um, thank you so much. I, I I appreciate this. I've really enjoyed um, the conversation with both of you. And I would just like to say that um, obviously we're in COVID, and I uh, want to make sure that we're being as safe as possible. And so I think that for any of the listeners who are trying to learn a little bit more about me, um, you can head to shamerturner.com really simply, and that'll have information with um, a little bit about me as that website gets built out, social media handles, and um, learning, even as Adrian kind of early on the top of the um, call listed out the, the, the neighborhoods in the ward. I think that if you head to the website, I've got that new map that came through for Ward Garheel. And I'm really excited to take on this new adventure. Awesome. I'm excited for you. And Adrian, it's adrianbruff.ca, right? Yes, it's adrianbruff.ca. Or you can call us at 587-594-8586. Or just send us an email, info at adrianbruff.ca. And we're on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just type in Adrian Bruff. And yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys. And volunteers, come and volunteers if you can. If you live in any of those communities or anywhere in the city, come and volunteer with us. We have an amazing campaign. We're excited. We would love to have you. And to your young social justice ad, um, advocate that's listening now, Katie, please come and help on this campaign. We want you. We want your energy. We want your youthfulness. And we want your experience. Thank you for listening to another episode of Outside the House with Katie Robertson. We'd like to thank our guests, valued sponsors, and of course, all of our listeners for your support. Don't miss any of our weekly episodes. Follow us on social media and subscribe at patreon.com slash outside the house for ad-free, uncut, extra content and episodes, giveaways, swag, and more.